Good morning, everyone. Let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself in such a big mess, you had no idea how to begin in getting out of it, right? We were at Lake Allen Henry a few uh, years ago and had pulled up to one of the boat slips by the ramp. We were getting life jackets or something, I can't remember, and there was a boat that was a slip over from us. The longer we sat there, the more I began to realize he kept getting lower and lower in the water. And uh, he had his back turned to all that was happening. So I kind of looked in the back of his boat and noticed he was taking in a considerable amount of water. He was sinking. So I said, uh, sir, I, I think you may have a problem back here. So he looked, and I mean, he goes into a panic, right? Because by this time, there's quite a bit of water in the back of his boat. So he finds a pail, and he's shoveling out water. But water's coming in way faster than it's going out. It had risen so high that it kind of gotten into the batteries, and when he'd reach back to grab something, it shocked the living daylights out of him. All the while, his wife and young child are sitting in the front of the boat watching all this happen. So I was like, sir, can I help you get your family out of the boat? Would that be okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, please, please. And he's out there bailing water, right? You see, he was so focused on trying to save his boat, (laughs) that he forgot to ensure the safety of his own family. The good news is he did save his family and he saved his boat. It ended up having a big old hole right behind the motor, and I'm not sure how that happened and how he didn't see it to begin with, but nonetheless, the story ends well. But in one way or another, I tell you that story because I, I think we find ourselves in similar situations. We, we find ourselves in such a big mess We don't even know quite where to begin and how to get out of it. In the midst of a crisis, it's easy for all of us to lose sight of our priorities. Sometimes we just need someone to tell us what is the next right thing we should do. We need need a little help in understanding the, the priorities we should have. I think that's where we find Titus in Crete. I think that that he's in such a big mess (laughs) that he doesn't even know where to begin. Because the church in Crete is beginning to sink, if you will, under the weight of all the problems that are going on among that body of believers. And Titus is wondering, where in the world do I begin? And I think Paul writes this letter in order to help identify the priorities, to, to at least help Titus understand where he should begin. What's the next right thing he should do? Now, as I say that, I want you to think about it. As we talked about last week, this letter that Paul writes to Titus very likely represents some of his last words ever spoken before he was martyred. So, this is the last letter that he writes, and these are the first words out of his mouth. So I find it intriguing. What is priority number one in the eyes of Paul? Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help us be reminded this morning that these are spirit-inspired words from you, spoken through the Apostle Paul. So whatever was priority number one to him was priority number one to you. And so may we take these words to heart. They should have weight to them. They should have deep meaning and value to us as your people. 
So would you clear away the clutter? Help us to see with eyes of faith, to understand in our heart and to follow where you are leading as you help us see and put things in order for us to learn. We pray this in your name. Amen. Titus chapter 1, and we'll pick up where we left off in verse 5. Paul tells Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed. Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. The first priority in Paul's final words is the importance of godly leaders. And keep in mind that Titus, as we said last week, is like the, the special forces of Christian discipleship. But as good as he might be, Leadership in the church is never, ever a one-man job. Paul says clearly, appoint elders, plural, in every church. Find men who are committed to the protection of God's people. Titus, that's your number one priority. You see, Paul knows... (laughs) that trying to fix all the problems in the church in Crete is like bailing water out of a sinking boat. As soon as you get something out, something else will come in. And so more important than fixing all the problems is caring and shepherding all the people. Men who will have a heart to serve. Men who understand the priority of caring for the needs of others is more important than their own. Now, all that sounds reasonable, that makes logical sense, but where do you start? (laughs) How do you begin to identify these men? Well, Paul says start in the home. Look for men who are above reproach, who are the husband of one wife, who are faithful fathers in their home. Let's start with this idea of above reproach. Some of your translations may actually say blameless. Now, that word makes me very nervous, (laughs) because when I hear blameless, I hear perfect. Titus, just go find guys who don't ever make any mistakes. That's who you need. We know that's not true, otherwise Titus would still be looking to this day. A person who is above reproach is someone who is without accusation. What it means is that their behavior does not contradict their confession of faith. These are men of spiritual integrity. So who they are in one setting is consistent with who they are in another setting. They're uncompromising in their character. And here's why that's important. The qualifications of elder are not a spiritual resume. These is not a list or or a checklist of character accomplishments because far more important than the reputation of the man is the witness of the church. The character of the elder must not compromise the reputation of God. That's what's at stake here. Being an elder 
has less to do with someone who's in charge and more to do with someone who's accountable. Elders are not perfect, but they must be men who have spiritual integrity. Paul says it starts in the home. Because if you don't see it in your home, I can assure you it won't happen in the church. We know that's true because of what he writes to Timothy. He gives him very similar instructions about appointing elders in the church. It's a priority in both of his letters. In chapter 3, verse 4, he says, He must be one of who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And here's the qualification. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? The household of God so if you want to identify a man of spiritual integrity start by looking at his marriage Paul says an elder must be the husband of one wife it literally means a one woman man this is someone who is committed to his wife without compromise they are faithful in their marriage Someone who understands the the value of a covenant commitment of love. It's a man who does not quit when things are difficult. See, this is often the case because faithfulness is very often most clearly seen in the midst of difficulty. That's when you find out when someone's faithful is when things get hard. Are they going to stick around and work through it? Or are they going to be a coward and walk away? You want men who are faithful in the midst of difficulty. Paul is not pointing to perfect marriages. He's highlighting men who live with their wives in an understanding manner. Someone who understands the covenant commitment of love. For better, for worse. For richer, for poor. In sickness and in health. His tender care for his bride will be a reflection of his care for the bride of Christ, the church. Because faithfulness at home carries over into his commitment to the church. The same could be true for his role as a dad. Paul says an elder must have children who believe, which at first glance seems to indicate that they need to be professing believers. Now, I'm going to share with you why I believe that that's not necessarily the case, and here's why. The word used for children in this text is used to describe those who remain under the authority of their parents. So these are not young adults. These are kids. And the whole point of this is not to examine the heart of a child. Instead, the purpose is the dad's commitment to be the spiritual leader in his home. The Greek word for believe can just as easily be translated as faithful. So these, uh, this would be a, a family who is faithful to respond to the spiritual leadership of their dad. See, disorder and rebellion has more to do with the dad's negligence than it does the child's character. It is a result of an absent father who's neglected his role as a spiritual leader in his home. Because I can assure you of this. 
you leave any child to themselves, there's going to be disorder and rebellion. It's true for you. It's true for me. And that's why the, the, that God designed the family to have an order where the dad is the spiritual leader of the home. Again, this is not about identifying a man who has a perfect marriage, who never has any problems, who has a perfect family, and the kids never disobey. That's not the point. Instead, this is a man who is faithful in the midst of all those challenges. A man who is tender towards his wife. A man who is devoted to his family. Because what you see in his home will then be mirrored in what you see in his care for the church. Look at how Paul continues in verse 7. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not found of, fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. Paul now shifts from the home life where you need to see it happening first to the church life, from the, the biological family to the spiritual family. In, in these two verses, we see a list of 11 character qualities. Five of them negative, six of them are positive. But I need to reiterate once again, this is not a checklist of character accomplishments. In fact, it has nothing to do with what a man is doing for God. It has everything to do with what God is doing in the man. When you look at these lists of character qualities in these two verses, you see a contrast, and that's intentional. It's a contrast between a man who is walking in the flesh and a man who is being led by the Spirit. Both claiming to be believers. Both active and involved in the life of the church. But Paul is making a contrast so that Titus can determine the difference between the two. Paul is helping Titus identify spiritual leaders who have a humble heart. This is not about finding gifted leaders in the church who have impressive resumes. This is about identifying men who are led by the Spirit through an abiding walk with Christ. Spiritual leaders must first be faithful followers. That's the requirement. Paul wants him to understand this because look at what he says at the beginning of verse 7. He says, an overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. In other words, they're overseeing the work of God. They are stewards of His handiwork. After all, this is God's church. These are God's people intent upon God's purpose in life. It's like a family business, and, and those who steward that business want to make sure that all they do is to the praise and honor and glory of His name. They want their lives to magnify the name of Christ, which is why the primary goal of an elder is not to please himself. 
In the original language, the word self-willed literally means self-pleaser. Self-pleaser. It means in all they do, it's all about them. Even their concern for others feeds their appetite of self-interest. They're fully committed as long as things make them look good. They're very delightful, very gregarious, very involved in the life and ministry of the church until until something doesn't go their way. And then when they're criticized, they become defensive. When they're questioned, they become argumentative. Their quick temper is a means in which they guard their self-interest. It's like approaching a dog who's protecting a bone. That growl is them saying, don't you come near my pride and joy. Well, the quick temper of a man very often is intended to do the same. Don't you come near my pride and joy. Those who walk in the flesh are prone to excess. That's why Paul talks about being addicted to wine. They have that addictive personality, not just with alcohol, but alcohol is very common because it is often used to to manage emotions. Drinking in of itself is not necessarily a sin. Overindulgence certainly is. It is the evidence of a selfish appetite that simply cannot be satisfied. That's why they become so irritable when things don't go their way. Paul uses the word pugnacious. Basically, someone who's pugnacious is essentially a bully. They're a bully. They belittle people and their problems, and they have this unique way in whatever situation to make someone feel guilty and ashamed for whatever they've done when it was probably the other person's fault to begin with. It's a subtle tendency towards sordid gain. You see, selfish greed can be hidden behind good deeds. That's what sordid gain is. It's selfish greed hidden behind good deeds. People who are always searching for something better, something bigger, something more. Even if you have to be a little bit dishonest or manipulative to get to that goal. I say subtle because let me remind you again that these are people who are involved in the life and ministry of the church. These are leaders who might be ones who say, let's do more for God. But instead of exalting God, they're really just trying to make a name for themselves. And here's the problem. You cannot serve the good of others if your primary goal is to promote yourself. It is the antithesis of what it means to be a steward of God. These are people within the church who wield their influence for selfish gain. And you can often tell who they are because behind them is a wake of destruction from broken promises and broken relationships. And Paul is telling Titus, avoid such men as these. And instead, he contrasts it with a different description. He says, 
Find men who are led by the Spirit. And here are some attributes in their life that will give evidence that that is true. He interestingly begins with hospitable, which literally means those who are kind to strangers. So instead of making a name for themselves, they want to get to know you. They want to hear your story. They want to hear about what's on your heart. Do you see the shift in focus here? Between those who are walking in the flesh and those who are led by the Spirit. Paul says they love what is good. And this is not just a a general interest in good things. The word that Paul uses here is what we get our English word, philanthropy. So they love what is good in the lives of other people. They're benevolent. They get great joy by being a blessing to those in need. And unlike the emotional swings of someone who is walking in the flesh, those who are led by the Spirit, it says they're sensible. They're not impulsive or excessive. They're discerning. Whereas James might describe them quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Instead of manipulating others for selfish gain, they're fair and just in their relationships. They do the right thing, even at personal cost. What helps them be loyal and devoted, faithful to their word, self-controlled and disciplined in how they act. Now, if you look at those two lists, it's quite a contrast, isn't it? You could see that Paul is making the case, this is not hard to discern. Look at these qualities between those who walk in the flesh and those who are led by the Spirit. But please understand that these qualities do not reflect a man's personal ambition. This is not about what he is doing for God. This is what is about what God is doing in him. An elder is not a perfect person. But an elder is in the process of being perfected by God. Because they're being led by the Spirit through an abiding walk with Christ. Faithful leaders are first and foremost faithful followers. They're not gifted men with impressive resumes. They're humble men with teachable hearts. Look at verse 9. Holding fast to the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. See, you don't want men serving as elders who have it all figured out. Avoid such men as those. You want men who are students of God's word. Men who lead out of what they learn. When I look at verse 9, here's what I see. I see men who take in God's word because it says that they're holding firm to what they've been taught. I see men who are transformed by God's word because it says exhorting others. And I believe the implication is based out of what they've learned. I see men who teach God's word because they're refuting those who contradict what is truth. These are men who take in God's Word. Men who are transformed by God's Word. And men who then teach God's Word out of what they've learned. Paul said these are men who hold fast to the faithful Word in accordance with the teaching. 
Now, when Paul uses that phrase, the teaching, he is always referring to the apostolic teaching. Because it's important that these men hold faithful to the apostolic teaching, which is the only God-inspired Word of God in the New Testament. Apostolic teaching. It is the only source of God-inspired Word in the New Testament. So what that's saying is that these are men who are not coming up with some new word from the Lord. These are not men who have special revelation or unique insight or some innovative idea. It's very simple. They hold fast to the apostolic teaching based on what they've been taught. They're humble men with teachable hearts. Spiritual leaders do not have all the answers. But they do know where to go to find them. They're diligent to apply the words of God to everyday life. Men who understand the practical application and they're not trying to impress you with deep theological ideas that nobody understands. These are men who exhort in sound doctrine. That word exhort means to encourage, to comfort. So instead of preaching at you, they have a desire to walk with you. They lead with vulnerability, sharing truth out of the things that they've learned along the way. Because I don't know about you, but personally, I do not want to follow somebody who's already arrived. I want to be with somebody who wants to walk with me, to learn and to grow together. And that's precisely what an elder should do. And if there's any error in thinking, they expose that error by proclaiming what is true. It's like using a plumb line. Okay? You take a plumb line in construction and you drop it down and you know that that is a completely vertically straight line. And you line it up to anything, and it'll show if it's tilted one way or the other. Well, the fact of the matter is, you and I both can be tilted in our thinking from time to time, right? And we need people who help us see our error, but not because of their opinion. They help us see what is an error by revealing what is true. You see, the ultimate goal of sound doctrine is to protect unity. Listen to the words that Paul writes to the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, and says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in one spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Let each of you regard the other as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what it looks like to be a shepherd elder in the church of God. Far more important than the reputation of the man is the witness of the church. 
Because by protecting unity, we put the gospel on display. By protecting unity, we display the manifold wisdom of God. It was his idea in the first place. This is his handiwork. And we steward what he has accomplished. So, as we finish up this morning, looking at what I consider to be a most important passage for our church. When I took my study leave, this was one of the things that caught my attention. Because I knew this was something that we needed to be reminded of. We have a long history of elder governance in this church. And it needs to be a priority from one generation to the next. And as we can see from our passage, this was priority number one in the mind of Paul inspired by the Word of God. Here's my question to you. Is it priority number one in your life as well? Is it priority number one in your life as well? Now, as I ask that question, I know that some of you are hearing that and saying, well, no, not really. I'm not an elder, nor do I intend to be one. So, no, it's not priority number one in my life. But listen to me. I'm going to make the case for you this morning that whether you're an elder or not, whether you're inspired to be or not, it should be priority number one for every single person in this church body. And so let me tell you why. The church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ, designed by God to display the manifold wisdom of God. And by His design, all that He creates has order and purpose built into it, doesn't it? It's true for marriage. It's true for the family. It's true all throughout nature. And that order and purpose is intended to bring about His highest good and the things that He has created so that when His goodness is revealed, it brings glory and honor to His name. Spiritual leadership should be important to every person in this room because it's tied to bringing glory and honor to the name of our God. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ... (laughs) That most certainly should be priority number one in your life. You see, biblical elders are only present within a church when it is a priority among its people. Biblical elders are only present within a church when it is a priority among its people. Now, it may have men in roles of spiritual leadership, but biblical elders are only present in a church when it is a priority among its people. So, with that being said, let me give you some practical applications of how this can be a priority in your life. The first one I'll give you is true for every person in this room, no exceptions. It's the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. Every person in this room should pray for God to raise up spiritual leaders within this church body. Should be praying for men who might cultivate a heart that is willing to serve. You might even look at this list in Titus or the one in 1 Timothy and pray specifically for the qualities of what it means to serve faithfully as an elder because here's what will happen if you do. God will use your prayers to help you help us identify those men. The more you pray for the attributes 
the more likely you are to identify them when you see them. Because when it's on your heart through prayer, you will begin to see it when it's exhibited in the life of this church. You'll see men who are taking in God's word. You'll see men who are being transformed by that word, living vulnerably and and leading through that student of the heart. And then you'll see men who then teach out of what they've learned. And as you begin to see this, you might actually start praying for some of these men by name. These men who are exhibiting the qualities of what it means to be a shepherd elder before ever serving in the office of elder. Biblical elders will only be present in a church when it is a priority among its people. And there is no priority more important than faithfulness to prayer. And that applies to all of us. The second way you can be faithful to the priority of elders, personally, is to pursue those qualities in your own life. A few years ago when uh, Bill Hamilton was here on staff, Michael Haverdink approached Bill Hamilton. He said, look, I may never be an elder. That's not my intent at all. But these qualities described in Titus and Timothy, I want them to describe me. Will you walk with me in helping me understand what it means to be a man like that? I don't know of a single person in this room that shouldn't desire the very same thing. If you're walking by the Spirit, that's the person you become. The attributes of an elder are important for all who follow Christ. Isn't it important for all of us to be faithful in our marriages? Isn't it important for all of us to be devoted to our families? Isn't it important for all of us to be hospitable? Kind, discerning, taking in God's word, being transformed by God's word so that we can speak the truth of God's word. Doesn't that apply to all of us? So pray and pursue and then finally prioritize. Now you may remember the response in the Old Testament from Cain when God asked him knowing the answer where's your brother Abel and you remember what Cain's response of was kind of uh, uh, what's the right word sarcastic right am I my brother's keeper <laughs> the answer is yes yes you are the same is true for us You are your brother's or your sister's keeper. There is not a person in this room who is not responsible for shepherding and caring for others within this church body. You are your brother's and your sister's keeper. We should all be cultivating a shepherd's heart. Caring for the needs of others is more important than our own. Now, On a personal note, when I think about elders here at Melanie Park Church, I'm I'm encouraged because I can honestly say that there is no shortage of men within this body of believer who is qualified to serve. There are men who are faithfully serving as shepherds even now. But here's my challenge to these men. My challenge is for you to consider the priority of being appointed to serve as an elder. Paul says clearly 
set things in order by appointing elders, plural, in every church. It's priority number one, and it needs to be from one generation to the next. Because all too often, I've found that men are reluctant to serve as elder because it hasn't reached the place of priority in their own heart as well. They want to get their life in order before they make a commitment to serve in the church. And so as a result, being an elder gets pushed somewhere down the list of priorities. It falls under the priority of, of getting established in their career. I just, I just need to get my feet out from underneath me and, or get my feet underneath me and, and really establish what I'm trying to do in my career. Or I need to make enough money so at least we can be comfortable and we don't have to worry about finances. Or I, I need to reach this career goal because once I get there, I can kind of settle into that position and that will give me more time for the church. Or maybe we just need to be in a different season of life so that maybe our kids are in a different place. And Let me tell you this. If we keep doing that, it gets pushed so far down the list of priorities, I'll be honest with you, it will never happen. Because that day will never come when everything lines up perfectly and now all of a sudden you've got this free time to devote to the church. It won't happen. It has to be a priority. Biblical elders will only be present in the church when it is a priority among God's people. And I can assure you from personal experience, no matter how ill-equipped you may feel, if God has called you, He will equip you for what He has called you to do. We need men who are willing to make the sacrifice for the sake of the church to the praise and glory of the name of our God. But having said all that, here's what I believe. If we as a church family can be faithful to pray, if as a church body we can be committed to pursue the qualities, regardless of who we are, what stage of life we're in, if we can be committed to, to prioritizing the role of elder within the order of the church by the design of God, if, if those are true in the life of this church, Here's what I'm convinced of. Because of God's design, there will always be biblical elders within this body of Christ. I'm convinced of it. Because when we follow God's design, there is goodness built into it. So let's be committed to be faithful to pray, to pursue, and to prioritize. And that applies to all of us. Let's pray together. Father, I, I hope we take this to heart. Such a significant instruction inspired from your heart to ours because you want this body of believers to display the manifold wisdom of God. You want this body of believers to live in unity in a way that puts the gospel on display. You want us to be healthy and encouraging and strong and true to your word. You want all of us to take in that truth, to be transformed by that truth, and then to admonish and encourage one another with that truth. So Lord, would you help us to be faithful, to pray, to pursue, to prioritize what it means to, to be a spiritual leader, a person of influence for the name of Christ our Savior, and to the praise and glory of His name. Father, we ask this 
in your name. Amen.